2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to take a break from Luke. Uh, the men started a study in uh, 2 Timothy, and there was something I wanted to share with you out of 2 Timothy. The title of my message is called Continue in the Faith. Continue in the Faith. Now, every one of us has times in our life, in our Christian experience, where we know that God is working in our life. It's become so clear. The hard thing is not getting connected with what the Lord wants to do. The hard thing is continuing. All this starting and stopping and all around us are things that want to distract us. Amen. Knock it off. Okay. That's my whole message. Knock it off. <laughs> uh, and I confess, we, we want so badly to hear from the Lord and just discover his purpose for our life. And then we're distracted with something else. And so you and I constantly need to help each other stay focused, not in a judgmental or a critical way, but an encouraging way, because we all know that we struggle with the same tendency of getting distracted. Oftentimes I'm distracted and I think I'm still focused on what the Lord wants to do. And then suddenly the Lord helps me to see I am, I'm not quite as on track as he wants me to be. The key to this whole chapter is second Timothy three verses 14 and 15. If you follow with me there, we'll start with that as the theme to this study today. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. When I was a young man, just a couple of years ago, I, I felt so lost, so lost there in my, you know, around 18, 19, I grew up in church. My mother took me to church, but my father, as I've shared before, was an alcoholic. Uh, the stories in my family was that he was in seminary at one time to be a minister and left seminary moved to California and started drinking. And to this day, I don't even know the story behind all of that. And that lack of a fatherly influence in my life, lack of a good fatherly influence left me completely aimless. I had no real direction. I didn't even know how to find direction. And it was very easy just to fill that emptiness with getting into trouble or just whatever was exciting to me. And I remember when I felt like the Lord got my attention. I remembered the scriptures that said where God said, if you'll ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to you. It's in James chapter one. And so I, I felt like all I had at 18, 19, 20 was to say, God, you promised. You said, if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it to me. 
And it's amazing now to look back on those years and to see that the Lord has kept his promise to me. My own family, I have three older sisters. My mother and father have passed away. But my three older sisters look at me and wonder how I turned out somewhat normal. And that I'm even able to do this at all. Meaning stand in front of you and put two words together. Um, you don't know me back then. I was shy, would stay in the background, couldn't talk to people, much less say anything remotely profound like I do now. But I know that it was the Lord. And what I want to say to you is if you will put your life in the Lord's hand and continue not just ask the Lord for help, but continue. The Lord will transform your life into what he has created you for. Purpose comes from the designer. It's God who made us. And therefore, he is the one who has set out good works for you to do. Ephesians 2.10. And all I knew was if he had something for me to do, I wanted to find out what it was. And I wanted to make sure I was ready to do it when the opportunity came. And so Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul is Timothy's mentor, father in the faith, led him to faith in Christ on Paul's missionary journey. When Paul went to his Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Timothy saw the miracles that God did through Paul's life. And so Timothy started traveling with Paul, received the Lord as his savior under Paul's ministry, and then started traveling with Paul. And so Paul literally trained Timothy to be a pastor. But at the occasion of writing second Timothy, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell expecting to be executed. And the question is, what will happen to Timothy if Paul is executed? The fear is that Timothy will quit. Wouldn't you feel like quitting if your father or mother in the faith, the very person you depended on so much, for direction and strength, that person, something happened to them and they were taken out of your life. Are you going to continue? That's a big one. But how about some other little thing that happens to you every day? Some trial, some person irritates you. There's something every day, some temptation that pulls at us to not continue. Yes, it's true that where sin abounds, grace abounds, Paul says in Romans. And of course, if you get distracted into sin or just often some tangent, the Lord forgives you, the Lord loves you. But you've still disrupted what God is taking you toward his purposes in your life. You know that? 
He's shaping you. I think of the world that we live in. The world around us is in chaos. It's not just America, not just Oregon. It is literally this global event, which tells us we are so much in the end times. We need to be aware of what, what's happening in the world, because these are the events that tell us that the Lord would return soon. And that we should be preparing ourselves. My opinion is that God has used COVID and other things in the world to shake up the churches, especially in the United States of America. The pattern in church, as well as our personal lives, is we get into these ruts where we're doing kind of the right things, but not really maybe from a right heart, or we're not really walking in fellowship with the Lord. And because the Lord loves his church, he'll shake it up. And that shaking historically brings about revival. Whether that happens now or not, we don't know. But what I do know is that we need to get shaken up sometimes. Amen. We need to get our little world disrupted once in a while. Because I don't want to think I don't want to think I'm okay and just be comfortable. You know, that old illustration of the frog in the, the pot of boiling water. How many of you have never heard that illustration before? You all know the story. Very quickly, if you throw a frog in a pot of boiling water, what's it going to do? Jump out. If you throw a pot, a frog into a pot of cool water, it's going to enjoy it. And you very slowly turn that water up to boiling and it will just stay there and boil alive. The world is boiling around us and God forbid that we get comfortable with the shifting morality of our time. That's exactly what's happening. They rapidly, the water is boiling. It's not warming. All this shifting and relative morality and truth is based on feelings rather than an objective standard of God's word. We, the church, cannot be comfortable with boiling water. Now, Paul is writing of a shifting morality that is not just in the world, but that creeps into the church and warning Timothy to watch out for it coming into the church. And then we don't continue. We don't continue serving our purpose for the city of Albany. I know you're taking notes with me. I'm going to outline Second Timothy three into three parts. First of all, Paul reminds Timothy of the plan of God. Verses one through nine. Second is the faithfulness of God. Verses 10 through 14. And third is the word of God. Verses 15 to 17. Follow with me. I'm going to pick up now at verse one of second Timothy three. 
Paul writes, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men, now as I'm going to read through the description of the last days, see if it doesn't describe our time. Men will be lovers of themselves. We can stop right there. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. That's a key one right there. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's the hint that this is in the church. The church has a form of godliness, godlikeness, but really not depending on the power of God. From such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make them make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins. When you see Paul in heaven, you could ask him what he meant by that. Verse seven, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jannies and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. The last days that we, that phrase we use in the church is biblically that period of world history between the first and the second coming of Jesus. We usually think of it as in the very last period of time, the years before the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming. But in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, God, who at various times, in various ways, spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. The last days are, out by, are marked by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an increase of evil, an outpouring of the spirit and an increase of evil. But it's also believed that in those days right before the Lord's coming, that increase of evil actually takes over the church. It's a period of apostasy before the rapture of the church. Paul lists 19 examples of things that can come into the church and do at times. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, denying the power of God. John called this the spirit of Antichrist in 1 John. The spirit of Antichrist, now we know there will be a man who is called the Antichrist during the Revelation, But the spirit of Antichrist, which John said was already active in the world, it's this dual definition. It means Antichrist, meaning against the things of Christ, while claiming to stand for morality. The Antichrist, 
will be an imitation Christ. He will pretend to be Christ while actually against the very things of Christ. So look around you in the world whenever you hear of people who are standing up for what is right, but actually against the things of the Bible. Have you seen that recently? That is the spirit of Antichrist. So just be, be wise about those things. The book of Revelation tells us that God is actually allowing all of this. Because we might say, well, why doesn't God do something? Well, over world history, God has done many things. And there is a line that gets crossed in which maybe in a country or in a culture or a tribe, if that increase of evil goes too far, God intervenes and stops it. There are people groups that don't exist anymore because God intervened. Biblical example would be Sodom and Gomorrah. A line gets crossed and God says, that's it. And for the sake of saving the rest of the world's population, God will essentially put out that virus. Because sin is always contagious. Sin is always progressive. In all of this hell that's breaking out, the question is, how do we as the church discover and continue on our purpose? Well, remember, the power of God is greater than the power that's in the world, right? Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. So there's no panic that we're, we can get overtaken or overpowered by the evil unless we decide to go there. So don't decide to go there. Don't decide to go there. And in the middle of all of that chaos, Paul reminds Timothy that God is working his plan. And he says, their folly will eventually be exposed. Don't you, don't you just, I, I think about the people in politics who are getting away with things. I don't mean to stir up trouble. <laughs> I could lose sleep on the corruption in politics, but here's what gives me peace. God knows what they're doing. And nobody gets away with anything. So I don't have to be telling God, do you see what they're doing? I go, sure, settle down. <laughs> Relax, it's okay. God sees what they're doing. Jannies and Jambres, those random names that were thrown in there. Those were the two magicians of Pharaoh that resisted Moses when he went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. When Moses would do a miracle, these, these magicians would imitate it and counterfeit it. Pretending to also be men of God. And there are fake men of God in the church today who appear to have some spiritual power, but God knows who they are. 
You just see the fruit of their ministry and it becomes clear. The second thing we look at today, Paul reminds Timothy of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Follow with me verses 10 through 14. Paul says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. The things Paul Timothy has learned are the things of God's word. Of all the opinions and philosophies out there, nothing has the reliability to speak for God and transform our lives like the word of God. Like the word of God. Paul, Paul says, you have seen everything that I've been through. And of all the powerful miracles God has done. Of all the troubles and tribulations I've been through. Now, it was in Lystra where Paul went to Timothy's hometown that Paul performed miracles. He was stoned and considered dead. And yet he, what appeared to be that he came back to life. And Timothy, as a young man, was there to see it. You have seen how God has delivered me in every case. And the concern now, after all these years of Timothy watching the power of God in Paul's life, And really depending on him for strength. What will happen if now it's time, it's Paul's time to go to be with the Lord. Here's the question. Can Timothy believe God for the power of God in his own life? The way that Paul believed for the power of God in his life. You don't always just call your mentor or somebody you depend on and say, will you pray for me? You pray and see the Lord directly work in your life. Don't say, well, I can't do this without you. I can look back at times when people that I looked to died. People that trained me. People that I maybe wasn't intimate with, but I was around them a lot. And they got me. To where I am. Pastor Chuck was my pastor. And then there was another older um, Welsh pastor that I became friends with. who was a real fatherly influence. He would come and speak at my church every year when he would come to Portland. With a strong Welsh accent. I can still hear his voice. Oh, Teddy boy. And I'd get worried about something. You go, oh, Terry, it'll be okay. 
sounds a little Scottish, but it's very, he had this Welsh thing going on. And he would just, he would be like, oh, it'll, it's, you'll be fine. And he died. And, and uh, someone called to tell me that, that he had passed away. And there's like, oh, there's this loss. What am I going to do? My father-in-law is 94 and he's a pastor. Now, my father was supposed to be a pastor and never did it. And then I married a young woman whose father was a pastor. So the Lord replaced that influence in my life. And I, um, he's ready to go be with the Lord. I just saw him a few days ago. He lives in Laguna Hills. And when I was at the pastor's conference at Costa Mesa, I went to see him. And he is a fatherly influence in my life. And then he is going to go be with the Lord. Now, the weird thing is now at my age, somebody look at, look at people, other pastors, look at me as a fatherly influence. And I'm thinking, but I'm only 35. What are you talking about? <laughs> I guarantee you something is going to disrupt your peaceful little world. And the test is going to come as to whether you personally can trust God for his power to work in your life. You have to have your own relationship with the Lord. And do you know that the Lord says he's near to you? And when a hard day comes, when the bad news comes, you have to just know that the Lord is right there with you. He's faithful. If you haven't learned it yet, you must learn about the faithfulness of God. But I'll tell you, it is often in the worst of seasons that you learn that lesson. Because it's in the hard times that you say to yourself and to everyone around you and to God, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And then you discover how the Lord sustains you even when you can't do another day. So you have to learn what that feels like for your strength to be completely gone. Have you ever been there before? I have been there. It's in those days that you discover it wasn't your strength that got you through the trial because you don't have it. I'm not a pastor to tell you, stand here and tell you that you're awesome. You're pretty good, but you're not awesome enough <laughs> to get through all these trials. You're just kind of pathetic sometimes. That's the encouraging word from Pastor Terry today. You're kind of pathetic sometimes. Now, you have good days where you're holding it together, but nobody has good days day after day. And in those bad days, what you will discover is you, you just don't have it. And you will discover the complete sufficiency of the Lord's faithfulness. That is the breakthrough that I pray that you have. Because up until that, every time bad news comes, you panic. And you run back to some comfort that will sedate you, get you through the panic. You have to stop it. The Lord is faithful. And he's faithful to watch over you and to bring out those who might be against you 
but mainly to take care of you. He is faithful. Did you hear me so far? Okay. You sound like a Pentecostal church today. That's good. Third point. Paul reminds Timothy of the word of God. The word of God, and this is important, verses 15 through 17. From childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, who wants that in their life? Who wants that in their life? Okay, I want that. But as I've said, things disrupt getting there. And the Christian life literally is training. You don't just get saved and God says, well, here's that amazing thing that I've been waiting to give you. Here it is. And you just like you're all you're born, suddenly born again and ready to go save the world or whatever it is. No, just like a child is born, then training starts to happen. And just like my kids and my grandkids, um, you, you're going to go through learning to walk, learning to relate to people, learning to have Christian friends, learning to run. That's um, Ephesians, sit, walk, stand. We're going we're gonna to learn how to live the life. And just like real teenagers, Christian teenagers think they know everything. They have to move on a little bit farther and discover they don't know everything. Um, and really come to a mature relationship with God and able to handle responsibility, just like our kids. Just like our kids. I've raised three daughters, and now I have eight grandkids. All the way from Teddy at four years old to Asher at 12 years old, who is as tall as me. I think he's a giant. And as a grandpa, Papa, I want to give them things. Give them things like not just play stuff, but responsibilities. Or car keys or whatever it is. Or to play on my guitars and drums in my office. But that comes with a little bit of maturity. I want to give it to them. I want to someday give them my guitars and my equipment. Not yet. And I think God is saying, I, I have these things I'm holding for you. I want to give you this responsibility or this opportunity. And he's training us to be ready to be able to handle the responsibility of those things. And God forbid that I should get through my whole life and never be able to handle the responsibility for the thing he wanted to do in my life. 
I think along the way, there's been lots of things he's let me do. And it's been amazing to discover these opportunities. Even just at the pastor's conference, um, I saw a man who is a pastor in Boise. I know this man from my missions trips, uh, tours with a band in England, where we would do evangelism way back in 1984 and 85. That young man at that time had been homeless, had been adopted into a pastor's home, and they began training him and discipling him, and now he is a pastor. And every year I see him at the pastor's conference, and we check in and go, how are you doing? And, you know, remember back when we first met each other way back um, 10 or 11 years ago? And the fact, just to share how faithful the Lord was for taking us where we were to where we are. And when I look at you, all of you here, even though I don't know your, all of your stories or God's purposes, I'm thinking about your lives in 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. And what I'm talking to you about now is to equip you for your future. The morality of the world is just going crazy, isn't it? All of this shifting social, these shifting social issues, which I don't, you know, personally feel I need to hammer every one of them because the real issue of a changed life is a heart for God. And if I debate all of these social issues and all these gender issues and all of these rights and rights and rights, but you don't have a heart for God, I'm not accomplishing anything. My ability to even see differently is because of a changed heart, not changed politics. Now, of course, we as Christians have a social and political influence in our American system. But our primary purpose is to be salt and light in a world that doesn't know God. Amen. What is God doing in your life? If I were to ask each of you personally, can you see God working in your life in some way personally? Could you tell me something that God is doing in your life right now? Question is probably, yeah, I had this opportunity. I really learned this recently. I'm growing in this way. I just want to remind you to stay the course. I don't go to the gym once and say, well, that was awesome. When I was in high school, I'd work out for three hours a day in gymnastics. And then after school, I would go to Long Beach City College and work out for another three hours with the college team. I just love to be in training. And I think the Lord just carried that over into the rest of my life. I love the challenge and learning and seeing those breakthroughs. 
but it's a whole lot better to do it with other people than to do it alone. And that's what we're here for. I love in first Timothy, first Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to exercise yourself toward godliness. It's literally a word taken out of the Greek culture exercise. Um, don't get freaked out. It means to exercise naked gymnazo in the Greek culture. The men did that. He's telling Timothy, make a plan, be disciplined, exercise yourself toward godly character. And that's what we're here for. To work out together. We're all going to have good days and bad days, but overall we're going to make progress. Amen. Let's stand. Let's let's stand. Hopefully something today is really uh, connected with you. God has spoken to you. And I would just encourage you to say, take note of that thing that the Lord really spoke to you about today. And just ask the Lord to help you. Stay focused or get refocused on that thing, that purpose for your life. If you need help, ask one of us. If you need prayer, I'm going to have prayer team up here at the, during this last song of the service and somebody can pray for you. But my prayer is that, again, I say it all the time, that this church represents a godly, healthy church in this city of Albany.